Well, we're going to get to 1 Samuel chapter 3 in a moment, but before we get there, I want us to relocate what's happening in 1 Samuel before we get to today's text. 1 Samuel opens up with us meeting a woman named Hannah. And Hannah uh, is a wife, and um, she has, uh, uh, I guess we call it a um, sister wife in our modern language today. There's two women, and Hannah is the barren one, and the other wife is able to have children. And what we learned early on in chapter 1 is that uh, the other wife at, at times mocks Hannah and, and shows that she's able to have kids and Hannah's not. And so Hannah is very down and depressed. Um, and, um, but we also know that her husband loves her very much and gives her a double portion of what she's required to get. So we know some goodness is going on. We also know that she's faithful because we encounter her in the temple. And we find out She's in the temple grieving, and she's praying so hard. She's praying so hard to God that her lips are moving, but no words are coming out. And Eli, the priest, sees Hannah doing this and assumes that she's drunk. That's the first assumption. It's kind of like at Pentecost when they see them talking in tongues and they just assume that they're all drunk. Well, that's what's going on. The priest assumes that Hannah's been drinking. And then as he sees her pray some more, eventually Eli decides, no, there's something different going on here. And eventually what he discovers is that Hannah is praying to God that if God will just let her have a child, that she will commit that child to God and bring that child back to the temple to be raised in the temple to be a servant of God. And Eli offers her a blessing. And she goes on, goes back home, and she eventually conceives of a son named Samuel, which we'll see in our text here in a little bit. And she actually goes on after that to have more children who stay with her. But this child, Samuel, she brings to the temple to be raised in God's house. Now, Eli's not a simple story either. I mean, where Hannah's gotten has been very difficult, and she's got jealousy for her husband's other wife. Well, Eli is not the priest that we all want a priest to be. Now, for the most part, we don't know of anything he's done wrong, but his sons have kind of taken over the temple, and they are doing things, they're basically stealing the offering, all right? So people would put the sacrifice in the pot, and it was supposed to wait till the fat burned. They would go ahead and take the sacrifice out and eat it before it had even done what it was supposed to do. I mean, it'd be like Ryan and Micah coming like mid-sanctuary as the offering's come up and just go ahead and swipe it before we pray over it, and then running out to Walmart, you know, to buy all those... Uh, to buy all those coats they talked about a few weeks ago, all right? That, that's what's going on in our world back then if we understand the culture. On top of that, and thankfully the youth are away today, there are some women that hang out in the front of the temple and his sons and them are having a really good time. That's what we know is going on in the story. We won't have to go into the details of that operation. And Eli's basically been told by God that he's going to be judged for what his sons have done. Also, he's going blind. So Eli's not exactly in a mode where he's feeling the fullness of God most of the time because of what's going on in his life. So we have these two awkward, this awkward pair of Eli and Hannah who have been through so much and who have to be wondering what their role is in God's kingdom in these first two chapters of Samuel. And from there we walk into 1 Samuel, the third chapter, verses 1 through 10. Listen for God's word today. Now the boy, Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, 
so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down within the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go lie down again. So he went and laid down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose and he went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that it was the Lord calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. The Lord came and stood forth, calling at other time, as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we know this story as the calling of Samuel. It's a pretty popular kid's story. And if we leave out the first two chapters we just discussed, it's a pretty easy Sunday school lesson. It's those other two chapters in the backdrop that makes it a little bit more complicated for us to understand. But I have to tell you this morning that as I read this, and we are who we are, and knowing the experiences of my own life, this is not just the calling of Samuel. This story is also a calling of Eli. Because without Eli in the story, Samuel can't hear what God has to say. And if we really listen to this story, Samuel doesn't yet know who God is. And the only way he figures it out is because of Eli. And I can't help but think that Eli had some options in this story of what to do. Like sometimes we might read this story and think of Eli as a flat character who's just doing what God calls him to do. But I don't think it was that simple for Eli. I mean, let's imagine what it was like for him. He knows that his children are literally destroying his entire legacy. And more importantly, because we know he's faithful, destroying what he believes about the temple, and likely because he's going blind, and because he can't move around much, they likely don't care for anything he has to say. And so there has to be nights when he's lying down at night that he wonders, does God have anything left for me to do? He has to wonder if God's gone silent. Because most of us have been there where we wonder, God, where, where are you in this? What is it that I am to do? And then of all things, think, he's lived a long and hopefully, from what we know, a faithful life. And, gee, and God comes in and somehow speaks to this kid. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me, I would, my first thought would be, God, I'm over here. Like, this kid doesn't even know you yet. Like, you can come to me, I'll take care of it. And on top of that, I'm a parent. 
And Eli is a parent to this child. And I can tell from the way that Samuel can get up, this isn't easy for Eli to get up at night either. Right? Like, you know, when the child's two, we kind of get used to getting woken up in the middle of the night. But my kids are 10 and 13 now. You wake me up in the middle of the night, I may not be very Christian. You know? I mean, I can't believe how calm he is. Well, go go back to bed, because I would have said something different. So this is Eli with all this going on. Like, there's some serious grace going on, even in his relationship with his child. But somehow Eli says, in his pain, in his maybe not even knowing where God is for him, son, that's the voice of God. And tell him you hear him. Now, there's a lot of great stories in Scripture, but that's one of faith. That's one that is lost in its simplicity. Because what is it that you do? What is it that we do when God is silent? What is it that we do when we think of being barren like Hannah? When we miscarry? When we lose something way too soon? What is it that we do when we're unemployed? underemployed or facing employment situations where speaking out may cost us our jobs? What is it that we do when we're grieved because we've lost everything in losing a spouse or a child or a parent? And we can't hear God. When our body begins to break down, maybe for Eli it's being blind, but for any of us it's diabetes that leaves us trapped. It is cancer that leaves us weakened. It is a diagnosis that leaves us knowing that there's not much more time for the light to burn, as it tells us in the scripture. What is it that we do when we can't hear God, when we can't remember God as we are remembered at this table? wonder where God is because I don't know about you in those moments it's when I say why me that's what I keep waiting to hear from Eli in all the first three chapters of Samuel is for Eli to say why me and it's a fair question but it's one that I've learned rarely moves me to an answer that's very helpful thank God that God doesn't ask that question Thank God that nowhere in Scripture when the people are running away and abandoning God, when I am running away and abandoning God, that God doesn't say, why me? What have I done? All I did was give you life and breath and a place to live. But God doesn't say, why me? Christ doesn't say, why me? And thankfully in our story, Eli doesn't say, why me? It's fair to want to know why, but what we have to focus on is the fact that God creates anyway. And God recreates again and again. God calls old people like Eli, even when they think it's all but over, to do something amazing in the simplicity of just pointing to say, I know that voice is God. And God moves us through small children who may not yet fully even know what's going on, and yet they speak and laugh in such a way that we can say, I know that that voice is God's. 
Why is it that God would trust us with this type of calling? Why would God choose Hannah of all people? Or Eli, for that matter. Or Peter, some fisherman who is just going to deny him later anyway. Or Paul, who's literally persecuting him, and yet God recreates anyway. When I think of these biblical characters, it makes me go, okay. Then maybe that voice I hear from that small child or from that person who thinks it's almost over, maybe that voice is the voice of God. What voice do you hear today? Is it something clear like Samuel? Because maybe you're someone that has felt something recently that it could not be more clear that God is present in your life and giving you something to do. And I know that feeling and thank God for it. doesn't necessarily mean it's easy to follow through, but as we think back on our lives, those are the moments that really help us go through the tough times because we saw something before and we know that it's possible again. Or maybe today you're wondering if God cares at all. I don't know why one person can so clearly hear God at one moment and another person just as faithful can feel the complete absence and the darkness of having no light. I don't know why I'm even here today. I don't know why I'm coaching soccer at the high school and teaching geometry as much as I love it compared to the reason I came to Scottsboro three years ago. I still don't know why this weird journey is what it is. But I do know who. I do know who has not given up on me. And I do know who has not stopped when everything seemed dark. Eli knew who. We are here because each of us in some way knows who in the midst of all of our lives. That's why we are gathered here today as a family, a church family, because somewhere along the way, someone said something and we said, yeah, that must be God. That must be something worth getting up on a cold morning to learn more about, to pray more about, and to care for someone who's not so easy to care for, to love someone who seems unlovable, to share this warmth. All our youth are in Gatlinburg this morning, and one reason they're there is because somewhere along the way, they heard one of you point and say, that voice is God. you said who God was not because you did it perfectly not because you did it in a way that reflects the fullness of God all the time but because you did it faithfully and authentically enough that some kids said yeah that must be right as a matter of fact it's likely because you confessed that you weren't perfect that made them say that must be God our children's sermon last week inspired me because if you remember Brian was up here and he was telling them about how you can hear something through the heart. And people gave all these great answers. And that one young man said, I got nothing. <laughs> and we laugh because of the truth of that. Because there's times that we try so hard. And what we feel is, I got nothing. When in that moment we find a way to point anyway, that is when we hear the gospel that mountains can be moved. 
That's when we hear about faith like a mustard seed. Because it's in the moment that we have nothing that God often shows us everything. That's when God shows up. That's when calling happens. It's why when I do funerals in the tense moment of the greatest grief, some family member says one little thing and laughter breaks out because of the realness of what it is to breathe and live. I've never been with a family in grief that there wasn't laughter breaking forth. Because at some level, we knew each other. It's why Sarah laughs in Scripture when she finds out she's going to have a baby. It's why Hannah and Mary and Elizabeth sing, maybe as beautifully as we've heard this morning. Because something that laughter tells us that God hasn't finished my story yet. Something that laughter says, you know, I know it's dark, but there's still some light somewhere that I believe God has for me. We don't do these things perfectly because we're tired and because we're human. I want to tell you a story. I uh, was a youth minister for many years, and uh, I once took the most difficult trip I ever had as a youth trip. Gosh, I hope convocation goes better than this for Brian and Michael. I took the most awkward group of kids to South Carolina for a, for a youth trip. Um, one of them had cerebral palsy, um, was the pastor's, associate pastor's son. And earlier in the year, um, his, one, one of the kids that had bullied him at school and been suspended for bullying started coming to youth group. And his mom signed him up for the youth trip that the other kid was also going on, the associate pastor's son. And the associate pastor didn't want this kid going, so I had to have a sit-down meeting with all these families just so these two kids could both go. So I had that going on. Then I had another kid who, um, let's just put it this way, it was 98 degrees in early August in South Carolina, and this kid wore a giant Ninja Turtle jacket all week. And couldn't figure out how it was that every time he got in trouble, people knew who he was and who he belonged to. And then there was another kid who was, this was a junior high group, but he was a ninth grader, but he couldn't go to the senior high trip, so we decided to let him go to the junior high, which had been great if he wasn't like the most attractive ninth grade boy in the history of the world, <laughs> who was also one of the sweetest boys in the history of the world and completely naive to it so it was like there was like 20 middle school girls just following him all over campus all week long so I got ninja turtle kid pastor's kid bully kid and good-looking kid these four boys who all week caused me problems all right now one of them I'll confess was the pastor's kid clung to me all week because he frankly didn't have a lot of friends and any of us that have been there, we love Jesus. And every child's a child of God. But some of them are more tiring than others. <laughs> All right? So I love this child to this day. But he made me tired after a week of being my shadow. God bless him and God loved him. I do love him. And Ninja Turtle Kid and Bully Kid paired up all week to get in trouble. And couldn't, like I said, couldn't figure out how it was that I kept finding out. And then, of course, there was always so-and-sos with, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He's just always causing problems with all these girls because they were always, the girls were just fighting around him all the time, okay? You've been there. 
I know Coach Webb's been there with track sometimes, okay? So this is my week. On top of that, Sarah was six months old, and I had a brilliant idea that this was the conference my wife and daughter would go with me to. So I was up all night, not as kind as Eli is to Samuel, and finally we get to the next to last day of the conference, and it is in the afternoon, and I tell all the kids, they're in their free time, please, for the next hour and a half, be where you're supposed to be. I've got to sleep. I mean, I just needed to sleep to survive. And so my wife had taken Sarah somewhere, and I finally got down to lay for a nap, and I've been down for a nap for maybe five minutes. All of a sudden, Patrick, Patrick, we need a broom. Now, I don't know if you've been on a youth trip, but I don't remember a time in my life that kids asked me for a broom and it was a good thing. <laughs> Matter of fact, in a previous trip, I had kids start a fire, try to put out the broom, and decided to throw it into the woods which we then had to put that fire out, okay? So I had a bad experience with brooms already. But there's never a time on a trip or in your classroom that a kid says, I need a broom, and it's because they are doing the glory of God. <laughs> I say, guys, I don't have a broom. You're going to have to talk to someone in the dorm downstairs. Go find a broom. Figure it out on your own. i got to sleep. So I thought that's what they were going to do. Five minutes later, Patrick, we need a mop. Now, a mop is like a broom on steroids. <laughs> And finally, they come back five minutes later after I run them off and they say, do you know where a washer and dryer is? And at this point, I lose my mind. This is the part I'm talking about, like, like I'm not as good as Eli. And I say, guys, you've just got to figure it out. You know? And that's part of my personality anyway, is for kids to figure it out, to trust them a little bit. And so I just say, just go and figure it out. And then I go back to go to sleep. And of course, after about two minutes, I decide I can't, I got to fix this. the moment that I open the door and I go outside and I see the pastor's kid sitting on the bed crying and the other kid who has had girls chase him all week sitting beside him with his arm around him calming him down and all of a sudden I see Ninja Turtle kid come down the hallway with washing detergent and the bully kid turns to me and says had an accident in the bathroom. We made a mess everywhere. And we just wanted to make sure to get all clean up. This kid, that bully, this other young man, at some point heard somebody say, that's God. And because somebody said that to him, he came to church. And because someone said at church, that's God, he signed up for a trip. Because somebody at that retreat said something about that's God, he got down in the mess and cleaned up something far bigger than just what was going on that day. And that night, it came time for dinner. And those four boys locked arm in arm, who let me tell you the, on the bus didn't want to sit by each other. Arm in arm walked into the cafeteria of that thousand member conference. And friends, that was the coming of the Holy Spirit. That was what Eli was trying to tell Samuel. Is that I can't even see anymore. 
I got nothing. But that voice that you are hearing is everything. And I imagine he must have known something of the Psalms. And he could have turned to Psalm 139 and offered us this. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it all together. You, you are behind me and before me, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me to attain. It is high, and I cannot attain it. For you did form me in my inward parts, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. You know me very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes held my unformed substance. In my book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. When I awake, Lord, I am still with you. To God be the glory now and forever.